This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 171. Well, just ahead, a boat maker whose prospects are afloat, but its stock is losing water. And the green tech company Fuel Cell handling some problems, even though there could be some big federal money on the way. We'll look at that story as well as cybersecurity company SecureWorks carving out an interesting niche in the world of threat detection. We're going to talk to CEO Wendy Thomas. Interesting conversation, I promise. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And if you're new to the show, and so many of you are, Make sure you catch the very next show by clicking the subscribe button. Follow us, and you'll get our latest episode every time it's out. And we can stay up to date with the latest drill down. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust is how clients like Bank of America, old Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind some stocks on the move. Joining me as always to help me do that is executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac? Hey, Corey. So uh, uh, A lot to go through on this oh show today, goodness. huh? Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Uh, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with American Outdoors. American Outdoors trades under A-Out, A-O-U-T, and shares have dropped 68% in a year, steadily declining since July of 2021 when they briefly touched $33 a share. Now, AOUT shares are trading under nine bucks. Yeah, uh, a precipitous fall in the stock um, yeah. uh, because, uh, well, there's been a big change in their business. And the big change in their business really happened two years ago and kind of went away. And that was people buying guns during COVID. So during the pandemic, the worst of the pandemic, we saw a lot of people, you know, whether it was because they were uh, uh, riled up by politics and the, and the headlines in the news and upset about riots and Black Lives Matter and whatever they were seeing on their favorite uh, uh, cable news network, or they were upset about what might be happening and the Democrats coming to take their guns. Still hasn't happened. I was actually thinking we should do a gun story soon just because I wanted to get you riled up. But no, Isaac. This is a legitimate, interesting business story because what happened with this business is they had a huge, uh, um, I was going to say huge explosion, but that's really too much on the nose yeah, there. Too much. But they did in fact see a, a giant rise in the number of shooting sports sales, whether it was ammo, long guns, whatever, where uh, even uh, in fiscal year 2022, that is to say last year, it was 58% of their revenues. This year, in the, in the year that they're, uh, uh, they expected to be just 46% of their revenues. So outdoor lifestyle products and launching lots of those products 
fish scales and Bubba coolers and, uh, you know, all kinds of new products for the outdoor lifestyle that have nothing to do with the shooting sports is the new focus of this company because their sales of guns are way, way down. They're seeing this just dramatic decrease in that business. Um, and so they're kind of, they're still above where they were pre-COVID, but that huge surge that they have is gone. Here's an explanation from CEO Brian Murphy. So, you know, we had talked about the, the shooting sports side being down, um, you know, relative to outdoor lifestyle, up slightly over pre-COVID levels. Um, I do think that that will normalize over time and, and continue to grow. But in terms of product categories and brands that I think are, um, you know, longer term, we've positioned all of our brands, probably a simple answer, but positioned all of our brands to expand into larger addressable spaces. And um, while we've pivoted on the launch timing for some of our new products, um, new product development is incredibly important for us and our brands as they grow. You know, this last quarter being about 25% of our total net sales. And in the, like in the investor materials, and I made mention to it um, in my prepared remarks, but we teased out a new product under Bubba called the Electric Fish Scale, the EFS which is, in our opinion, you know, we're not, it's not out there for consumers yet. You can't go buy it. But we believe it's going to be a complete game changer when you think about competitive, you know, tournament fishing. Uh, just got a huge, overwhelming um, reaction at ICAST. And, and those are the types of products that I think, you know, consumers, once they get past this, I'll call it kind of hangover of, of products that are getting into the market, is they're going to be looking for new innovative products and that's what we do best. So interesting that they feel like they could still launch products. I think that means that some of the supply chain concerns we might've expected to be in this conference call weren't there, uh, Isaac, uh, this time around, but uh, you know, for, for this company, for American outdoors and for the, the gun sales market this last uh, year, things have really cooled off. This is a small company though. Yeah. But it's, uh, there aren't a lot of publicly traded companies in the uh, gun business. In that space. Um, and so um, I think it's, you know, it's one for us to look at. Even the next company we look at also kind of small, but uh, indicative of what's going on in that industry and indicative of something that's going on in our society as well. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Mastercraft Boat Holdings. Mastercraft. Mastercraft trades under MCFT and shares have fallen 16% over the past 12 months. In fact, plunging 10% at the beginning of September, 2022. Yeah, so if I had told you two years ago, this company is gonna have seven quarters, everyone setting a new record for that quarter, you're gonna see sales way up, you're gonna see profits way up, you're gonna get a stock buyback in there. Well, over those last seven quarters, the stock is down. It's a, it's a maddening thing, I'm sure, for Mastercraft shareholders, of which I am not one. But they did indeed uh, post a seventh record-setting quarter, seven in a row. Uh, net sales for the fourth quarter up to $218 million, up 40% over the previous year. Profits of $12 million for the full year, the full fiscal year. It was the most profitable year in their history. Sales at $708 million, up 35% over the previous year, which was also a great year. Profits up to $58 million. So, of course, the stock is freaking down. I, 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 I've been in pain like this before. I'm not in this one, but we've been talking about the boating lifestyle, the boating industry, and uh, Mastercraft, maker of four different brands of uh, uh, powerboats, 
Um, really interesting. But talking about how things are slowing down, they're selling everything they can make. Their customers are selling everything they can deliver to their customers. Their customers want more boats to sell. So what's going on with the stock price then? They're seeing a slowdown, and that's the that's the fear of once you're hot, you could be not. Mm-hmm. Here's Fred Brightbill, the CEO. The interesting thing from my perspective was in the fourth quarter, it was as we were scrambling to provide dealers with inventory, you know, to have enough for the selling season. Um, it was more like, hey, instead of five leads, you know, I have two leads and I can still sell every boat that I'm receiving. That was kind of the attitude, but clearly it was coming off the peak level uh, of, of excitement. In the first quarter this year, from my perspective, um, dealer attitudes are still incredibly positive. So this is not a reaction uh, to uh, dealer sentiment, which I think is still uh, very, very positive. It's more our look at the macroeconomic uh, context we're in. Um, Some of what we've seen at retail, certainly in terms of slowing demand for the industry, but just projecting out and saying, look, you know, in the near term, are conditions likely to get better or are they likely to continue to be tough? We continue to have significant rate increases uh, by the Fed. We're looking at quantitative tightening. Uh, We're looking at recessions in Europe. Uh, You know, it's not a scenario that makes us want to to, uh, get out over our skis. So that's kind of the context. But let's face it, uh, if if, uh, the, uh, the headwinds pass, and we see acceleration in the second half of the year, we'll respond. So I'm sure they're losing their minds over there, having delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered and delivered fantastic quarters for their shareholders, only to see the stock take it on the chin. I can only imagine how frustrating that is. Corey, what's your next drill down? I'm going to take a look at fuel cell energy. Fuel cell trades under, <clears throat> trades under F-C-E-L, F-Cell, shares have tumbled 27% in a year, currently trading around $4 a share, less than half its 52-week high of $11 a share. Yeah, now there there has been a lot of talk about this company maybe turning a corner here. They've had this huge project uh, for the Navy, uh, building a fuel cell platform for a submarine base in Groton, Connecticut, and uh, uh, which is right up there by uh, New London, kind of in eastern Connecticut, um, a favorite place of mine. New London, Connecticut. Do you know New London, Connecticut? I do. Why is it one of your favorite places? Uh, not least of which because my son's in college there right now. Ah. As of two weeks ago. Um, and there's a ferry there that goes to, uh, well, all kinds of ferries that go off from there, including some that go, one goes off to Montauk, one goes off to the North Shore of Long Island. Um, just a beautiful place uh, there. Um, and it has not been so beautiful for fuel cell because they have been struggling to complete this big project for the Navy. The project is due to be completed on September 30. And they announced in their quarterly call and in their 10Q that they weren't going to get it done to the level they were supposed to get it done, but that it will be operational. They're going to say they can put out six megawatts, which um, is only about 80% of what they're supposed to be able to deliver at this plant. So they've got to get permission from the Navy to finish the job, not completely, or at least get to the level they want to get to. They got to get approval from the, from the Navy. They got to get approval from the Connecticut Municipal Electric Co-op and None of that stuff has happened yet. So while they've had problems completing their biggest project to date, 
specifically their Mixer Educator Oxidizer, their MEO, which is a piece of equipment that's very specific. They say it's specific to this project. They say it will not happen again, means nothing for the future of this company, that the problems with this particular design are only about this design and won't matter ever again. Just because we're falling on our face right now doesn't mean we can't run a marathon tomorrow. And I guess that's what their argument is, which is important. Why? Because the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act, that uh, massive, massive bill that's going to have so much clean energy spending, could be great for a fuel cell if they can get stuff done. The question is, how much can we believe them right now if the only project ahead of them they're failing at, or at mm. least flailing towards? Here's CEO Jason Few, and I want you to listen to him. It's a brief soundbite, but the question is, is he full of it? Or is this really this one MEO configuration? Is that the problem? And uh, does the tone of his voice suggest to us this won't be an issue in future platforms? Here's Jason Few. The things that makes this different from our other projects is that the MEO in this configuration is unique to this particular plant. And the same configuration is not present on our other installed plants uh, around uh, whether it's the U.S. or internationally. And so the, the, the issues are unique to this plant. Uh, our engineering team uh, feels very confident over the next year that we'll be able to work through the, the issues. They're well understood, uh, and, and they know how we're going to drive those improvements. But, you know, that same issue is not present on our other platforms. So to, to me, he sounded kind of believable, but I, you know, uh, show me what you can do. Don't tell me what you can do is kind of where I think a lot of, uh, a lot of us land at the end of the day. They're going to have to have show a little more delivery to benefit from the inflation reduction, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, and the spending that will come from that. You would think that they're in the perfect position to benefit from it. Well, only thing get the shit done. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at a, an interesting company in the security space, uh, SecureWorks CEO Wendy Thomas joins us to talk about kind of a new paradigm and how this company reinvented itself at a whiteboard five years ago and is now reaping the results when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Wendy Thomas, who is the CEO of SecureWorks. Wendy, glad to have you on the show. Um, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you to take me back in time because I heard uh, on a, on a uh, investor meeting, I think you had with Needham, or that Needham sponsored, um, the, a hint of, of a very important moment at your company, an offsite, where you really changed gears and changed the focus of the company. So it sounded like that was about five years ago. Am I, am I hearing this right? That this, the whole company went in a different direction after something actually got done at an offsite? <laughs> Besides it, it, HR it was, violations and whatever else goes no on. No HR violations here. And yes, it was. It was a pretty pivotal moment in the history of our company. And as we as we fast forward to what we just released in terms of our results, we're pretty proud of the of the execution that happened after the ideation at that offsite. And so tell me, take put me in the room. What what sure. happened and who was there and what you know, was it a whiteboard or was it you know, uh, a mountaintop reasonable and, markers and the whole deal? Yes, yes, of course. Look, we had 
been in the security space providing security services, so really managing security point products on behalf of customers and pulling that together in terms of a security operation program for them. And to be frank, we stepped back and we could see all of the breaches happening across the, the, the globe and in various industries, and it seemed like the technology security providers were frankly losing ground to, to the hacker. And that was kind of ransomware was really, really taking off at that point. Absolutely. And, and we still see the same trends today around uh, phishing emails. And so there's compromise through that. And then the adversary is able to come in and, and uh, find their way to the most important data or systems in an organization and then deploy ransomware or, or download data and, um, and ransom that, that data back to the company. So... But you, so you look at all your products that you had out at that time, you thought you had a smart business, you thought you had the best people doing everything, and then you said, this isn't working. What we said was it, people weren't enough. And so we could only have humans move so quickly across all of these different point security products in an, in an environment without the benefit of technology. Look, and as you, as you looked at the, the uh, adoption of public cloud, and so the ability to move very quickly in terms of deployments and capabilities, uh, machine learning and, and deep learning type of analytics that could power security detections and even automate response actions. We had a vision. I'm, I'm, for, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase that. Sure. Take it out of security lingo because you know sure. it so well and on all of us do, um, and all of my listeners do. It sounds like the old approach was what my uncle Scott would call the "oh crap" response, which is, "Oh crap, something happened to our network. Now we got to deal. Let's, let's go in and see what it is." but it was a person having to respond to the problem as it was detected. A lot of heroics, so yes. And what we wanted to do was really enable people to, to focus on the things that the machines couldn't and shouldn't, uh, but to use technology to find, to find that hidden adversary in the, in the network, if you will, and route them out without having to engage a human on every possible um, uh, noisy alert coming from all these different uh, security point products. Yeah, you so, talk about that a lot in the conference calls. I've noticed you, you about signal versus noise. It's and, absolutely uh, important. For those of us not in the security industry, what what is the light? It sounds to me that when we've, we've got, I don't know if we've had so many security companies on this podcast, and it seems like a lot of the experience for companies that buy security products is that they, they've got just tons of vendors who will alert them to a handful of problems. And you need a bunch of different vendors because there's different experts and different, different types of problems. But the result is you've got all kinds of alarm bells going off all the time and you've got to kind of sort through them and figure out what's useful and what matters and what doesn't. Exactly. It's, it's as if your home alarm system keeps going off while you're at the office and it's your cat or your, your teenager who forgot to you know, put in the code. So you tend to get dulled to the ones that really matter and you spread your people over too many alerts to, to focus in on the ones that matter. And that's really what we see is the the important signal gets buried in the in the noise, and therefore you don't act quickly enough to protect the the company or the organization. So, and I've interrupted the story. I begged you to tell me. So you're there at the whiteboard, and you look at what you were doing, and what you're doing was helping companies um, assign people to deal with those alarms going off, and become experts in those particular sources of alarms. And so we took that knowledge and built it into to software into a SaaS platform that could ingest all of the, the data coming from those various systems that could indicate some type of potential compromise 
built our algorithms for detecting those based again on, on 20 years of experience in the space to create very high probability alerts that then had an automated investigation component so that once a, a person is looking at, hey, this alarm is going off and it's not the cat, it's not your teenager who didn't turn off the code, this is real and here's who we think it is because they're targeting your industry. The power of technology to, to reduce the noise and speed the time to taking the right action is absolutely table stakes to, to turning the tide in this, in this security battle in a world where there just aren't enough security experts to, to do it person by person. Well, that seems kind of obvious for tech people. Why wasn't it already that way? This is not easy. It is not easy to think about if you have data sets from, from different systems. I mean, all of us have, have looked at a database and tried to match somebody's name with their address. If you think about the way we have to normalize source data from a firewall or uh, your AWS cloud instance, in order to watch an adversary who's moving across those systems uh, to watch them in a holistic way. You have to normalize, tag, and normalize all that data, and then run detections that, that match their typical behavior to go infiltrate a network. And it's the combination of those two things that is, is difficult, but born of the experience set that we came from. And that's why it's so powerful for actually protecting organizations from damage from breaches. Would, so then, uh, then we, uh, you, I, I thought the drinking game was going to be how long would it take you to say XDR, and apparently it's taken this long and you haven't said it. Uh, can you tell our listeners what is XDR and, and how is that truly different than what you did in the past? So XDR is the emerging industry name for the technology that we built. I, funny enough, we called it TDR back in the day when we first Okay. Uh, designed this threat detection and response. It has since evolved into extensible detection and response because it can cut across, you know, endpoint or your network or your public public cloud. So it really is this kind of overarching shield of the ability to see things and then prevent things from from hurting the organization. So uh, I'll go with your XDR is real, and there's somewhere there's someone saying they got XDR and it's fake. What does fake XDR look like? Fake XDR means that you have to have a certain set of technology stacks. So your XDR provider says, well, you can't use that um, next-gen antivirus or, or endpoint security product you have in place. You've got to switch it out to ours. So we call it a rip and replace. And anytime an organization does any kind of rip and replace on technology, it introduces risk. Real XDR, we call it open without compromise, has the ability to work with all the leading technologies that companies typically have in place. And almost no company has just one sort of vendor stack in place, especially with acquisitions and such. And so what we can do is secure them immediately with a very easy to deploy agent, not force them into a rip and replace situation, but we can also evolve with them should they decide over time to, to change that uh, approach. Are there like are there lots of companies glomming onto that that phrase and, and claiming to have this stuff when they don't really have it? There certainly are because anytime you've you've got a business model in security space, business models get disintermediated pretty frequently that might not quite be ready technologically for true XDR. The the natural marketing approach is is to claim it and, and lean into it until you can build it. I think it's really important for customers to just do a proof of concept or a proof of value to test the technology and the software 
to understand whether they truly have XDR or not. It is, it's no, no cost, just a little investment in, in time, and they can see how easy it is to deploy and how, how much visibility it provides. For us, the, the test is in the, in the pudding, if you will. Yeah, I know you've, you've uh, you, you, another comment I heard in one of the conference calls where you sort of suggested that once you get into a foot in the door and you plug your software in and you can show the CFO or the CIO whoever made the decision to maybe test SecureWorks, you find uh, vulnerabilities in your system right away. Often. Absolutely. Almost and every that, time. That, that suddenly the checks get written. Exactly. I mean, you don't want to create a compelling event, but but unfortunately for most organizations, there is someone hidden, hidden in there. Uh, environment and we have the ability to quickly detect not only is there a vulnerability because plenty of software is issued with with vulnerabilities but then that is a vulnerability that is being exploited by certain threat actors that target their industry uh, it really helps them focus in on the things that matter most in, in order to kind of get the 80 20 benefit of of focusing in their security so it's what was the risk that the, this business model change um Impose. I mean, now it's been a few years, and you've clearly stuck with it, so it must be working. But I want—I would imagine that in this this offsite at that whiteboard, someone said, "Well, if we do this, we're going to lose that." And indeed, there are some business lines you got out of. Absolutely, we we made the conscious decision to move out of certain lines of service where our value add was truly just the expertise of our team. And while that's really important, if we couldn't accelerate that with the use of technology, it didn't make sense for us to focus time, attention, and resources on some of those things. A, a great so example the bodies is, that you deploy at problems was, was you realized, not a sustainable company, or not the kind of company that you could really grow. And not one that could keep customers secure at the pace that we needed to, to move with, with humans. And there must have been some pushback. There absolutely was some, some concern and skepticism, especially when you're talking about creating a market that doesn't, doesn't exist yet. The great news is we, we have brought 40% um, of our organization already has gone through retraining and career path uh, transitions as we move the part of our business that makes sense to move to the new technology-enabled platform. They have trained and, and grown their careers with us in that process. So the great news is it's created opportunity, not just for the business, because this is the right answer for customers and security, but it's created a great opportunity for our teammates to build their cloud expertise, learn new coding languages, that kind of thing. So the bringing in of outside talent who are data scientists and software developers, uh, which was, was newer to us, and then to bring our existing team of security experts along on that journey has been a has been a very worthwhile endeavor, and I've learned a lot about how much you need to communicate frequently during the during the during the journey. Oh man, it didn't sound like fun at all. Um, uh, I wonder too if the threat has changed. You know, we were talking about you know five years ago, ransomware was becoming a much more widely known problem and and exploding in terms of the number of, of exploits. Um, that's the word you guys use in that business, right? Exploits. I yes. like that. Um, uh, and, uh, but what has the, has the nature of the threat changed? Have the hackers themselves changed? Who were they then and who are they now? It's a really good question. We, we look <laughs> at that row. community in terms of two broad categories. One, you look at nation state activity, right? They're interested in, uh, industrial espionage and, and obviously Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. Uh, so yeah. those players are the same, but the 
the level of intensity of activity has certainly uh, increased and the sophistication continues to grow as they pour resources into that. The other side of the equation is the, the e-crime one. And as you've read in the news, ransomware is certainly one of the biggest sources of uh, economic income for them. That is how they're able to fund their operations. And what we've seen change is not so much the method of compromise, you know, business email compromise through phishing, uh, compromising credentials, especially in the in the cloud for crypto mining. These these are evolving slowly, but but not uh, exponentially. What we see happening in in the e-crime space is vertical specialization, if you will. So you have those who find and sell access to a company, those who specialize in the development of the the malware or the ransomware itself that you can purchase or do on a rev share and those who conglomerate um, partners of, of folks who go and support the, the operations of deploying the ransomware and negotiating and that kind of thing. So it's an evolution can of their business that just a little bit more? So uh, give me the example of a company selling access, someone selling access to a company. What, what's being sold? Who's selling? Who's buying? What's, what's most valuable is the ability to uh, obtain credentials of someone who's an administrator on a system. That means they can change the rules of access inside of a technology environment. So that is the most lucrative way that someone can come into an environment, cover their tracks as they are finding their way into the financial system or potentially the manufacturing system so that you can hold the company's ability to, to ship revenue, if you will, uh, for ransom, and it's, it's the way to get and, and, will, to and will that be ransomware? Or is it something more creative? I don't know. No, it's, it's usually ransomware. That's the the typical thing. Or they are actually just exfiltrating the data itself and somehow holding that data to ransom. Either it's sensitive uh, pre-public earnings data or something else. They're all trying to get to the point of the company's urgency to pay is now, and the amount that they pay is less than it's costing them to have their systems be down. It's just a, a calculus that they've that they've honed over the last. So what's years. the going rate? What's the going rate for earnings information? <laughs> that I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, we have seen you know double-digit million-dollar payouts for companies whose ability to run a key part of their business is shut down. Wow, it's uh, a twenty-billion-dollar so industry. What last yeah. year? Yeah, it, it seemed like one of the paradigms was, and this may be going dating myself, but were um, uh, within, let's say, Russia or the republics uh, that are part of Russia now, um, uh, once part of the Soviet Union, where there would be, uh, like Belarus, for example, um, uh, where there would be operators um, uh, who were hackers and a lot, the government sort of allowed them to do whatever kind of e-crimes they wanted. But when there was going to be a military operation, they expected all those people to pull together and work for the government. They absolutely have safe haven inside of, of certain nations where as long as they are uh, not attacking and are friendly to the, the interests of the government in the country in which they reside, they've, they've got this sort of protection over them as long as they don't travel outside of those, those friendly nation states. And that is why law enforcement against so much of this criminal activity, uh, because it is protected by government entities, is so difficult to to put a stop to. Really, the only way to put a stop to it is for them to stop making money on it so that they can't pay their people. And uh, to do that, it means we all have to become much harder targets. And 
you know, got to do hard passwords and, and things like that yeah. so that they can't get that kind of money. You mentioned crypto um, on a conference call recently. You mentioned uh, in passing a, a video game that that had been sort of had a, a hole in the software that allowed crypto miners to come in and take over machines and what use those that processing power to mine crypto. Exactly, and so th- that type of machine uh, they can compromise your AWS cloud access and really run up pretty big Amazon or Azure bills quickly because uh, they just need that processing power. Uh, access in order to to mine the currency. So interesting. I mean, it's, I should be mad about it, but it's kind of it sounds kind of sounds kind of clever. It's um, it's really something that frustrates those of us in the in the industry again because the only way to make it go away is to is to pull away their their economic income, and right. to do that, we all have to take just that extra one step to make it that much harder to get to our bank account or compromise our credit card or uh, to access our uh, financial systems as a company, uh, to fall for that email from, from the CEO saying, please cut this check right away. If we all become just a, a little bit more vigilant, we can really put a dent in the, in the criminal business model here. Wow, uh, fascinating stuff. Wendy Thomas is the CEO of SecureWorks. Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Now coming up next to the drill down, we're going to have the drill down bite to that one number that tells us a whole lot about secures. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the drill down podcast on your smart speaker by asking your smart speaker to play the drill down podcast. It'll pick up where you left off last time or start you with our very latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. Our interesting conversation was SecureWorks, and I think the success of their their uh, uh, platform, their XDR platform that is now five years old or so, um, it's been pretty impressive. Uh, when they talk about how much they've added customers, their customer growth in the last year, that number, that bite, that drill down bite, they've added 114% more customers uh, in the last year to about 1,500 customers. Um, so, you know, really growing That's this growth. platform really fast. Um, and, you know, about, you know, about more than half of the revenue is now recurring revenue. So uh, some stability on that platform as well. Um, which is interesting when they've gone away from that kind of consulting business of throwing a lot of bodies at the problem, you can get to a more predictable revenue base. I imagine all the cyber threats over the past year have also helped that bottom line. Well, how, how interesting that they can bring their software in and, and plug it in and say, oh, look, right over there, you're being hacked at this very moment. Um, that's going to be an exciting sales event. I think you want the guy who wrote the check standing in the room when you first install that software and can show those threats happening. Uh, there were a couple of moments during that interview where I was like, oh my gosh, is my cloud secure? Is my cloud secure? Is my cloud secure? Been <laughs> <laughs> ah. there. Yeah. Are you been listening to Drill On Podcast? We're grateful for your time. We'll be back with more shortly, but in the meantime, you can go back and listen to some of our former episodes. God knows, Isaac, we've done lots of security companies. Um, but they keep getting interesting, you know, more interesting and, and great stuff. But thank you for your time. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you to Ben Wilson, who was our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.